And I spread a song so you can sing along With my special guest star for two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song's Second Chance Theater, where we recover a topic, but with a new guest. I'm your host, John, and with me today is, well, this is technically his first full episode. The last time he was on, he was a special right. guest. It's Roland Rusinek, everyone. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite movies. You know... And like I rewatched this, and I said this the last time we did it. It's it's such a good movie. It's such it's a good so movie. good, and yeah. we're here to give Little Shop of Horrors, the nineteen eighty six movie, a second chance. Thea- oh yes. theater. Yeah. Um, uh, we previously we covered it. Uh, it was episode number sixteen. The guest for that was Kevin Young, who um was in a couple other episodes, but yeah, and re listening. To that episode because that's the that's the whole idea like we want to re-listen to it and maybe not talk so much about uh what was or was not said on there but like it was it was it it was old <laughs> hilarious well but, i mean there was you guys definitely focused a lot on certain things that i was like why are they talking about that so much yeah we talked a lot about this um the remake that was announced at the time that yeah you, now has been it, canceled yeah yeah yeah, I mean, Chris Evans officially said it uh, uh, two weeks ago on an interview for something else. And he talked about how he was a, he's disappointed that it's not going to happen now and that he has his audition for the dentist on his phone. And he's tempted to tweet it out because he thinks it might actually move the project back into production. But like I went onto the IMDb page and like there are no talent attached anymore. It's all just like it's just it's, a page. It's weird, though, because I, I did look beforehand and Scar- it's still on scarlett johansson's imdb page as like a in development area right so i have those credits too right but everyone i has literally have something that i got cast in that was in develop it said it's it's a pilot in development and uh it was going to be in production it never went into pre- we never even met we never had a f- contract signed but they put me on their imdb for some reason so like it's it's interesting because yeah it's weird how that I'm I'm disappointed that they're not doing it, but on the other hand, I'm sort of relieved because I feel like Little Shop is an almost perfect adaptation of a movie musical, which is rare. Mm-hmm. Like stage to film, it just they don't get better often. And like it, Frank Oz ma- um, managed to like balance a serious story, a serious tone with like goofy moments or like a over the top feel to it like the the um we talked about this on the last episode uh, like the domestic violence that um the dentist has on audrey like yeah that was interesting that you brought that up yeah it totes the line where it's like very serious subject but like also in a funny way where she's like i got i'm gonna I can't leave him. Yeah, or he says I got a black eye and my arms in a cast. <laughs> or or Mushnik says like I think he's not a good boy for you, and it's like, well, this is your first time. Assumingly, also, this is your first the time. Streeter shouldn't say something similar too. Like they people around the character of Audrey are, are making her aware of the fact this is a bad situation. It's not. They're not just like he'll he'll come around. You know, they're like this is this is this is unhealthy. But I would offer this. And and looking at it from like a more of a holistic perspective in terms of the plot, that he has to be a horrible person to be the first victim of the Audrey 2. And I think, I mean, it's already in the old movie that he's sort of like that. But Alan, I mean, Howard Ashman juices his awful factor up and builds it into the song so that when you play you know, Oren Scrivello DDS, you have to be this abusive human so that the audience goes, oh, fucking kill this guy already. <laughs> you know? but, but also, <laughs> uh, as per this recording, I recently went to the dentist to get um, a, a, a deep cleaning done. And Ooh. I was just like, oh, 
they're not wrong necessarily. They're not because they. I mean, they know they're inflicting pain. They're just gonna like, sorry, gotta have to. Gonna you're gonna hurt. Like, I really hope my dentist isn't listening to this because he you. was he was actually such a sweet guy and everything. But like, I have I have had some dentists that yeah. I'm like, oh yes, you guys are sadistic. So Roland, <laughs> Second Chance Theater, we've yeah. done this already. Why did you want to recover this topic? Well, after listening to your first episode of it i i mean i feel like you guys missed a lot of really important things that i think it would be great to talk about and know in terms of you know the bigger picture but also it is just such a special movie to me and i'm going to tell you really quickly why i grew up in southern california i uh, spent many years doing broadway shows in new york but i was a movie kid first because that's all we really had my parents of course took me to broadway shows that toured into oops turned into los angeles um, but I would see movies first. And in, in 1986, I was 15. And I, has, I had been doing theater since I was 12. Um, but I went to the th- movie theater in Santa Barbara called The Granada. They were, they were doing movies. It's an old movie house that also pl- did plays. Okay. When, in between, you know, times when the movie wasn't playing. And I saw The Little Shop for the first time at the Granada Theater because it was like a sci-fi horror movie. That's what I thought I was going to see. And I knew some vague notion that there was singing involved and also that there was some involvement of Frank Oz, who was the voice of Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the voice of Yoda. But also, I was a Muppet kid. My my growing up years were watching The Muppet Show uh, as a little kid at the dinner table, you know, in the kitchen while my mom was cooking or where we, after dinner or whatever. So I knew vaguely who he was because how do you forget the name Oz, you know, Wizard of Oz. You know, I'm just saying like as a 15 year old, I was like, I'm going to go see this horror movie about a man eating plant. And it starts and they're singing. And by then I had really fallen in love with musicals and I hadn't discovered Sweeney Todd yet. Um, I think it was probably that soon thereafter. Um, But it blew my mind. It formed me as an artist because I thought, wow, I had already done like cheesy stage musicals, but this was, oh my God, this is like weirdly serious, weirdly scary and weirdly funny. And all of, and all of it was just thrilling to watch a giant man-eating plant, you know, create a magical reality that this guy's success was built on his murdering people to feed it so that he kept being like the price of fame was blood you know this right. this incredible sense of like like you know you let the genie out of the bottle and now you gotta pay um so it, it, it was really interesting but i also walked away thinking I, i'm gonna do that i can do that 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 happened with that movie and with sweeney todd when i saw the this the pbs video of sweeney todd i was like that's what i'm doing with my life um were you actually in a production of this I was as the plant puppeteer. Oh, come on. Yeah, I never got to I mean I I'm not I'm not quite a mushnik yet. I I I am the right age, but I every time I go in for it they're like, "Nah, not quite." You know, I'm not caricature enough, I think. Um but I was a plant puppeteer when I was like 18, 19. And um, it was super fun. It was super hard, but I enjoyed it. I really, really, I mean, I was into it. Like You're talking really, about like the final plant, the where it's like half the, the whole, size of the stage. The whole show, the whole show, the whole show. Oh, really? Whole, yeah. Um, this production only had me. I don't know how it is in other productions. I, I know that in Broadway, there's, um, well, what it is, is that the way the puppets built in the original, your legs are the tentacles and you're inside of it. And so when you are in the bigger plant, you're puppeteering like this, like you're, you're like, you're, you're doing pull-ups, that. right? Yeah. No, you're, you're standing and you're moving the, the upper part and the lower oh. part, like up, apart from each other. It's, it's so hard. And when they get eaten, you have to open it in such a way that it stays open. It, it's complicated, but it's usually just one puppeteer, and then somebody can help with the tentacles. But the tentacles aren't um, as active as they are in the in the. I mean, the film is like I, I said before. It, it's not often that a stage adaptation gets better to film. This is the only one of the few cases that it's better because you can do think things 
that you just can't do on stage. Right. Like the little singing, you know, pop, uh, pod yeah. heads at, in, in um, Mean Green Mother, where you're just like, oh no, here they come. They're all coming now. Well, even also something as simple as like the urchins going from their glamour looks to their like regular this, skid row looks. So this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because you as a wardrobe person, I, I thought, how would he not want to talk about the amazing transformation how magical it is that the that the movie i almost said show that the movie opens and these girls are in like these gorgeous outfits they show like you know um doo-wop girl outfits from you know like like the ed sullivan show when they dressed up and and all of a sudden then you know cut and the scene switches in in the middle and they're like these street urchins you know doing their lines and then the number starts and they're back to being in these amazing outfits in like what seems like no cuts. It's magic. The, these are magical moments of movie making. Like, the one I that the them. one that got me was right before Skid Row downtown, yes, where they're yes. in their downtown I, Skid Row costumes, yeah. and then all of a sudden you see one of them. I forget which one it is, but they're in their It's Michelle Glamour. Lees, but I can't remember the character's name. Yeah. 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 She's in her glamour uh-huh. uh, motel. She's like introducing the, the the lady singing. She's like standing in the in the entryway of the alley. Yep. I know. And I'm telling no, you. There's no this is this Magic. like I I yes, this is gr- this is one of the few movie musical adaptations I've seen where they utilize film. And they're yeah, like better yeah we can now because you can't do that on stage that poor those poor girls would be losing their minds in these costume changes they're just too fast uh so was there another one i have to mention just an honorable mention where they're they're come on come on and you look through like a window in they're in the shop and the, the the cameras in the shop, you know, the actions in the shop, and you look through a window, and then you go see across the street into an alley, and you see the three girls coming out, and all they are in these lavender, like sparkly things, and the first thing you see are the sparkles in the alleyway, and then they step forward, and it's just like oh yeah, and that, that is that which one is that? Is that uh, supper time? Yes, it's supper time, but it's like yeah. in that in the part where they're like, "Come on, come right?" On. And yeah. like their face, their faces in shadow, Ooh, and you only so see like their hands so and the scarves that they wear and yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so obviously we've kind of touched upon this, but in your opinion, was there something that we left out in the previous episode that you want to right talk about or expand on? Well, there's there was that issue of just like the the how brilliantly the urchins were sort of developed in the movie because in the show they're just they're a Greek chorus they they're I mean they're wonderful it's it's innovative it was like groundbreaking at the time but um but also you guys didn't talk about I mean you talked a lot about Audrey uh Ellen Green and you guys talked a lot about you know Bill Murray and Steve Martin but didn't talk about um our star I know Rick Moranis or um Vincent Gardenia or Levi Stubbs for that matter like you know, Vincent Gardenia, oh, yeah. Mr. Mushnick is, I think, could not. I mean, he's so brilliant in his curmudgeonly, grump, grumpy, loving fatherliness. But also remember, this man was the father in Moonstruck. Oh. And this is, I'm really big on drawing connections to their work, people's work, because this man's work to me, I mean, like, I literally have said, oh, God, please let me be in something that they remember me for like that, like Moonstruck or Little Shop, because he's just, he's so brilliant in his perfectness. And also, Rick Moranis, could, you know, Rick Moranis, I did a little research since since I watched he was cast before Frank was even hired as director. David Geffen was the producer on this film. He was also the producer on the Broadway show. And David reached out. Well, well, he was getting the movie made. They had a they had a lot more money. And Scorsese was gonna direct this. Ha! And and yeah. I'm sorry, and, that's just funny to me. Yeah, it's just odd. It's a, that was odd. And then somehow that didn't happen. The money got reduced but they went but David Geffen says in an interview that he saw Rick Moranis at some event and said you're going to be in my movie Little Shop and and Rick's like what? And he got him and he said no one could have been more perfect for this role than Rick Moranis and I cannot agree more 
at the time that I don't know of anyone who could have delivered this role the way Rick Rick does. Cause there's such a sweetness and her vulnerability and like a sort of every man, but also he can sing it and he delivers this, like I say, vulnerability, sweetness, like you just love him and you want him to succeed. And so when he starts having bad things happening, I go, no, this is going to go down. It's going to go the wrong direction. You know? Um, he also just like looks the part. Cause like Seymour I, is a little bit of a schlub. He's it goes against the ingenue type. Yeah. He was originally Lee Wilkoff and Lee Wilkoff on the off-Broadway production is very character you know, and Jewish and um, very up, you know, Lower East Side, New York. And by the way, I think you mentioned that there's something about it being set in LA, which I always thought so too, but I looked it up and they do say it's set in New York. Skid Row in New York doesn't exist though. So I think no. there's like a weird... Like well, it's the original movie that... The, oh, you're talking about the, the original, movie. original yes, yes, 60s movie that they right. say were in L.A. They and, are. Yeah. And I think it's just, it, I think it's... It sort of travel because they're like, because she re- she mentions Levittown. It's not fancy like Levittown or anything. And I looked mm, up Levittown and Levittown only existed on the East Coast. Yeah. The, not even New York, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, like uh, upstate. Like, so it's weird. I think the whole point is that it's it's a nowhere everywhere yeah, I was about to say, I think okay. it's supposed to be like an everywhere big Bad city. place. Yeah, shitty, shitty town. <laughs> well, because like downtown here in New York is yeah. like, I Not mean, so since bad. this movie has cleaned up and yeah. things like that. But like, we're going to like, like. In LA, it's bad. It's still bad. And we're going to like the exist. seedy areas, the areas where it's like a lot of boarded up windows and things like yeah. that. And yeah. that, and that's, I think it's supposed to be. I think this movie makes it a little more universal where it's yes. like, it could be Chicago. It could yeah. be Houston. Maybe it could be anywhere basically where they, cause like really there's only three locations in this movie. You've got the, 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 flower, the flower shop, you've got Audrey's apartment and you've got the, the dentist's office. And even so we see Audrey's apartment only really through her window we don't go in it we we sort of see her enter and we you know from the outside in and I, that was also something I thought was really interesting Frank Oz talked about in this little mini documentary I watched that he said the whole show show is is set in the shop and he didn't really care about opening it up like putting it in other settings unless he could feel like he could justify it um on a very simple level and so that's why they built the sound the street in a sound stage so that they could exit the shop turn the camera around shoot the exterior of the shop on the same street and then keep do camera turns um it that, that was so smart. a lot of it was shot on these sound stages which i think makes it so interesting because here's the thing that i have really a strong theory about you need to realize Frank Oz was a Muppet director, as we know. Yes. He directed The Great Muppet Caper. He also directed The Dark Crystal and co-directed most of the Muppet um, show episodes and movies. And so when you watch Little Shop with that kind of eye, you start to see the similarities of composition of shots. How big they shoot on these giant sound stages with like sets and then they go you know, from from one part of the set and they track the camera in or like a or like there's layers. So like in the um, uh, I was walking in the wholesale flower district, Dadu, the Dadu song, the entire thing is shot as if it were like a, a, a show, like a musical, because you see the car drive in, you know, um, Seymour's walking on the sidewalk, but it's like a, but they're shooting it from across the street and similar to Muppet movie shots. They're all very similar. That makes sense. And then, and, and then and obviously... And the DP, the director of photography, same director of photography. Because I was going to say, like, also, the shots of Audrey 2 when it's in its final form. Yeah. Brilliant. Just magnificent. Ma- yeah. And I have a feeling it's like a... T- like, you did it yourself for this live version. I think in the movie, it's like a team of people where it's yeah. like seven people are like doing the upper lip itself while somebody else is doing the motorized 
I, other yeah, lip I, movements. I wish I knew. I wish I had foot. There was footage of what happened inside of the apparatus because it's. I have no idea. Like you know, I know some of it was on a you know on a crane and like wires that would it you know when it like kind of keels over when it's giant. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea how they did it. There's some there's some things I saw in this little documentary, like like they did a whole thing on the on the tentacles and how um, the vines were made out of this kind of like NASA polymer wiring that they could pull, you know, one side and then the other. They put multiple wires in the tentacle so that it could move the way they wanted it to. And 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 you know, of course, this is pre-real see good cgi so all of it is in camera which is also what's so brilliant about and it. also like how they did little well little is in quotes things like when uh audrey 2 calls audrey and it's the vines are tapping the glass oh, yeah. like fingers bra, bra, bra. Yeah. like little shit like that you're like <clears throat> I, this isn't fishing wire because you can't get that articulation that you're Doing no, yeah, with fishing wire. So. Yeah, I mean it's brilliant, and also that's the great, you know, artistry of the Muppet team of the Henson team that they brought life to these inanimate objects in ways that you know we, you you go that's br that's brilliant. We I wouldn't have thought that, right? Like, I wouldn't have thought to be like let's let's be impatient. Let's because that's that shows opinion. That shows the plant is like annoyed. That's, like, that, oh, answer that, your phone. You know, it kind of humanizes yeah it it makes it a lot personifies that's more the yeah, word i'm looking for absolutely and also when i saw the movie originally you know way back when i remember um i forget what's the song the guy sure looks like plant food to me the guy what's that song which is that song the guy sure looks like plant food to me and they're singing so audrey and seymour are singing like face to face i was terrified that audrey would just open his mouth and, <laughs> and eat him because mm. I believed how real Audrey was when I was watching it that first time and how beautifully articulated the lips were, the mouth. I, you know, I only re recently learned that they have filmed it under tempo and then sped it up because I was like, how do they do that? And in this documentary, it's funny, you can hear a very short snippet of something and it's definitely like under tempo and pitched low it's like something the musically they're they're puppeteering and it's like oh there it is you, you yeah can, little it's on youtube I could that's probably, probably also like another muppet trick that he right who knew right um but you also said like we didn't talk about Le uh levi stubbs who voiced oh. audrey too um oh, he was brilliant. a member of the four, four tops. tops yep which plays also into the urchins being part of like Motown and the Motown vibes that we're getting. And let me add music. to that. Let me add to that, that the, that the producer slash one of the producers slash arrangers was Bob Gaudio. Now, you know, you mentioned the first time, but Bob Gaudio was the part of the four seasons. He, he, he was, he's, he's a character in Jersey boys. He is a, a, like a master on this doo-wop sound. And I think, he well, he was also part of the team for the uh, Off Broadway show originally, and so I think as they moved forward into the film, they were able to you know say we can do more, and so you hear all these doo-woppy harmonies in you know floating over the songs that give it this like fifties, sixties girl group, boy group, you know, sound. It's just extraordinarily well done. Like it's. I'm so telling you, well it's done. it's such a improvement on the original. And the original is truly one of my favorite shows. It's like perfectly written. Was there anything else that we missed from the, that we didn't? Oh my God, so much more. Well, okay, so, I know we, there's always going to be something we missed. Yeah. Welcome to podcasting. <laughs> but like, I, oh yes, go on. Yeah. Um, I, I know you told me prior to us recording that you watched both versions of it because like I didn't I, I did not end up watching the the black and white because oh no I no, no. So, I meant like the bull did you watch the alternate or uh, the original ending though of the movie so, so I so the version I watched is the okay it's the version where the plant wins yes and takes over the earth but that is not my original ending my original ending that I saw was when Audrey he says Audrey are you okay and she goes no and then she goes, yes. Uh, and then he takes her away and he goes and kills the plant and electrocutes him. 
and then they live happily ever after. And then the movie ends with, you know, the little tiny baby plant in their garden smiling at the camera. Which ending do you prefer, though? I have not been able to find that ending again. No I just watched it. Wait, where? Prime. You have to buy oh, it. Oh, on Prime. Okay, okay. Because I, I, I have a copy, um, and it was just the old ending. Honestly, I don't know which one I like more, because I love that Audrey and Seymour get away, because that's just the romantic in me, wants them to live happily ever after. But God damn it, if I do not love the best joke in the whole fucking show, movie, at the end of the of the plant winning, you know, ending where she goes, finally, I'll be somewhere that's green. You know, come on. It's the, let's, hello. Funniest it's fucking so, thing in the, it's like, so funny. It, it, when you see it in the show, it takes the absolute angst out of her death away when she makes the biggest joke in the whole show about the payoff of I'm going to finally be somewhere that's going to go motherfucker out Howard Ashman God rest his soul you know waited an entire tragic show to give you the funniest line the payoff yeah I do have to say though um I I I watched so for this I watched um the movie with the uh theatrical ending which is the one that you talked about where they're in the idyllic home and you see the plant uh but then i also found on youtube the one where chaos rules and the plant is bonkers it's and what's great about it though is that both endings have a follow the tone of the movie even though they like slap together though the idyllic one where uh the plant is there in their white picket fence house yeah but they, but they got away at least for now, you know. Right, they, they, but but like, and ultimately the plant wins, and I think he wins regardless, which is what I love. Yeah, and I think you said it earlier, and I th- I think they wanted to keep it where it's like you know you sell your soul to the devil, the devil's gonna come knocking. Uh, yeah, for the, the price of, in this case, the price of success is blood. Like yeah. it's it's you know it's very similar to Sweeney Todd. It's like mm-hmm. you know. Whereas, like the original cut ending where uh, they sing "Don't Feed the Plants" and which yeah. is in the stage version and everything, yeah. that one is more chaotic and more like uh, cartoonish in a way. Especially when oh, it's so one of the so Audrey's much like a Muppet the, show eats a train it's oh, so it's so fun it's so funny so funny it's stupid i mean it's like it's like but also the shots are very similar to like chaos and muppet show movie moments like it's so it it's to me it's so silly and comical but at the same time it gives me like a pit in my stomach because you go like oh he's winning he's winning you know right and and i think i like the original one more meaning the show the show ending the one that's in the musical yes yeah where because like I mean, as cartoonish as it is, it kind of does drive home or the the um, blood payment in a way where it's like, right. okay, now it's a fad and yeah. it's going to prom- probably promise everyone something until... Yeah. Well, the- it also leans into, you know, the Roger Corman original sense of like, the, you know, Roger makes no secrets especially now, or I think he's passed away, but in towards the end there, where he talked about that little shop was actually just more of an experiment. It was like a joke that he had a set for two days and he said, I'm going to see if I can, I can shoot a movie in two days. And I was like, you can't do it. It's not going to happen. And then him and some, his script writer, I forget the guy's name. They got together, they brainstormed a bunch of ideas and the guy's like, okay, I'll write something. And he wrote something. And then he hired these actors and said, look, I'm going to pay you a week's salary. We're going to work rehearse monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday we're gonna shoot and then we'll do some pickups on saturday and then that's the commitment and that's little shop of horrors that was the original movie uh-huh that was how it was created are so, you serious a hundred percent i just watched the documentary <laughs> that talked about it and i was floored because in that's it amazing is that thing that i think i've talked about i don't know if i talked to you about it where it's always fascinating to me when you you have somebody who goes, I see the potential for something great in this shitty little thing. And so that's Alan and Howard, you know, doing, you know, improving upon this incredible sort of famously bad 
movie. And and D- David Geffen in this mini documentary even talks about. It. He says, you know, uh, when Howard and Allen pr- approached him to produce it for Off Broadway, they were they, he was like that movie. That's a terrible movie, and it's famously a bad like it's bad. Yeah, but then you tell me that it's shot in two days, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it's not. It's it's. Yeah, because there's, no, there's no bad. There's no other know? sets. There's no other. There's. It's just the store. That's that's the the store and the inside of the the dentist office. I think that's it, right? There's- uh, there's a scene where there's a a, a segment where Seymour is running from the cops, and there are outside oh. shots. Right. But it's okay. like I guess like. They had that's probably the, the Saturday pickups on the exterior somewhere in LA. Right. Know? Or like, yeah. or like, you know, they're like, hey, come back for another weekend, everyone. <laughs> we're gonna do we're gonna do this scene where you're just gonna be running everywhere. Yeah, no, it was it's it's like it's fast, it's just fascinating. Um yeah, so I I because I mean I think that the and the ending thing, okay, and then this is another story. When so I when I was living in New York and I was at the Empire Twenty Five movie theater, I was I was getting I I used to famously go during the day when no one was there because you know I'd have to go to work or do something in the evenings. So I, I went to see a movie, and I was in line to get popcorn, and there was like four four people in front of me, three people in front of me, three people in front of me, and I could just hear the, the man in front of me was like a taller man with a sort of lower voice, and this couple sort of started talking to him but I wasn't paying attention I was looking at what I was getting and I could hear me like no no I'm sorry I'm sorry and I was like "Ooh, what, what was that about that was weird and then he said something and I went oh my god that's Frank Oz and I because I recognized his voice but he yeah. you could tell he was just speaking low like not but it's an unmistakable voice and they walked away and I could hear the woman say, I'm sorry, I apologize, you know, and he was like, it's okay, it's okay. And I don't know what the inter- in- interchange between them was, but then he went to get, you know, a straw on the other little like concession area. And I did too. And I said, I'm so sorry. You're Frank Oz, right? And he went, yes. <laughs> and I said, I have to tell you, Little Shop of Horrors is truly one of my favorite movies. And he brightened up and he said, Oh my gosh, thank you. We had so much fun doing that movie. I'm so proud of that. I said, you should be. You're an amazing director. It is a great, I, it's such a He's great a movie. great director. And he said, um, wait, why was I starting to tell you this? What was what prompted this story? You said something right before. Oh, shit, I, I lost my train no, of thought. I don't remember. But anyway, there was Frank, uh we and we talked for a few minutes before the movie, and I'll rem- you know, I'll share more, but the the interesting thing was I feel like People didn't, or still don't, because I mean, he's still around. He's still working. They don't recognize the brilliance of his, I mean, he directed Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, In and Out. Wait, he, I mean, I did a list, like, uh, well, Dark Crystal, Muppets Take Manhattan, which are some of my favorite movies. Let's just be real. Muppets Take Manhattan. So good. good. But also co-directed and produced almost every other Muppet movie before they sold it to Disney. Right. So he, oh God, the man's work, Jesus. Um, there I, is something else I need. I need to get off my chest about Little Shop of Horrors. This movie, the plant before it's in its final form, looks like a dick, <laughs> right? Only a gay man would see that, and yes, I, I see it too. <laughs> yes, because I was just like, it, it looks like a penis. It looks like a, a well. I a think you can get around that because of the pod nature of it, like. Because, you know, it's like it has to start as a pod and, you know, the man um, and one's manhood has that podness at the top of it. Um, But I was just I was like, could they not do a different design? (laughs) Like spiky or more or have it open up more on, on. I think I think in the show show, it does look a little bit different and it has like bumps and whatnot it has like see i've seen productions of it where when it's in the potted plant the small plant yeah usually seymour is puppeteering it with one hand and he has a fake hand to wrap around it so like i understand the shape of it to go with a hand yeah but but (laughs) but i think also (laughs) it it also has to be a venus flytrap-esque thing for it to take you know like a protein of a human body in and i have to 
share this. I, I saw production of it out here that they did not use the conventional look of Audrey 2. It was, it looked sort of like a flower and a cross between, a you know, like a flower and um, the Demigorgon from Stranger Things. And it, and it had a small head, like a small flowering, you know, head. And it really didn't work. Because okay. what, what happened is you never believed that it ate somebody. You're like, how did it ingest something if it doesn't uh, have I see. space in its body to take it in? It, it, the, it just wasn't believable. The other thing I want to talk about more is <laughs> Ellen Green. Okay. Because I'm happy to do that. <laughs> beca- well, so what this is what I want to say is that because Ellen Green has been playing Audrey probably she's probably in a production of it right now somewhere <laughs> at 72 um, years old yeah she accidentally set a standard much like adelaide in guys and dolls where people Vivian try Blaine. to emulate yeah. yeah those women but i don't think it needs to be that way i think audrey just needs to be like like, I get it that, like, uh, Ellen Green does have a very, like, whispery, Marilyn Monroe-y voice and everything. But she, mm. as a character, I don't think Audrey needs that type of voice. So yeah, for those people, right. so for those people think... who want to do a future production of this, cast a woman who is talented and have yeah. her do her voice. I would like to say that I think you're 100% right about that. I Not to t- throw shade at Ellen because I'm a huge Ellen fan and I will I have a few things to say about her in a second. But I feel like Audrey, so to be a believably authentic Audrey, Audrey has to be someone who feels she, because she makes, a, I mean, beautifully says that she doesn't deserve good things. She doesn't deserve, so she has self-worth issues. So in my view, she would be somebody who is a character actress that gives you leading lady. And what I mean by that mm. is like a heavy set woman, a woman who might not be conventionally attractive. A, I would, I, 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 any race really would work in my opinion, um, as long as it doesn't feel wrong abusively and in that sense but but i think what's most important is you know if she's a character woman a woman very tall very odd looking somebody or somebody with a a, a open disability who just doesn't you you that you love her but you realize she what she's saying is i don't deserve good things so i I, I accept this and then when seymour comes into her life she finally flourishes because i i saw a video of uh mj rodriguez who was cast that's, as Audrey. that's the one i saw that i was saying it has the weird and one. george salazar they were wonderful um they were as wonderful. as seymour and i was just like yes yes wonderful she, mj rodriguez she killed it she didn't do the wispy voice no she was herself i mean she found her audrey and it was really lovely see i love that and mj is a gorgeous leading lady hands down full stop but there is yet something that she found and i and i mean in her work on the character that you believed she didn't deserve good things so it, it proves my point like to me that that was the production i was talking about that had the strange you know plant that i didn't buy the plant but oh god the cast oh exquisite and the direction was beautiful. I just I just didn't think the plant worked. That's all. And I feel like with this show, whenever people are casting it, this is a show where it's like great for character actors. Yeah. And you did say it like when you described Audrey as a character actor giving leading lady, like yeah. that you could say that for any I character agree. in this. I agree. Because Ex- think- except for the plant. The plant needs like a a belting voice. You yeah, can't... and it could be male or female or somewhere in between. I think all of that works. I've seen it done many different ways. It doesn't matter what gender they are. Um, it's it's more about you the belief that they will kill you, <laughs> but also that they will eat like you a... alive. Yeah, but and like they have to be able to hit those notes. Yeah, yeah, believably. And hit them with with gusto and make you happy that you heard it. You know, and, and that's really the only. I feel like that's the only requirement for this show is that. Yeah. You have to have somebody who can hit, who can wail like the plant needs to when it's singing. I, I have to circle back to something about Ellen Green. Okay. Which, 
Ellen Green, so, you know, Ellen Green is the original Audrey and she it, it, in, inhabits the role in such beautiful ways. And when she, you know, right before she sings, uh, where they sing Suddenly Seymour, you know, she has like a bit of a breakdown and that character really shows you her truth. But Ellen, you know, she's crying. She's giving you full snot, like, oh my God. And then it dawned on me as I'm watching this sequence, what other woman besides Streisand created the role on stage and got to do the film? Do you Can you name them? Because it's Ellen and Barbara. That's it. You're right. So I, we I got the joy of preserved, preserving her performance because Streisand did it with Funny Girl mm-hmm. and Ellen got to do it with Little Shop. Who else? I don't know of anyone I else. I can't think of anyone else. You know, You're it right. didn't happen for Julie Andrews and Julie Andrews is a legend. Wait, didn't Julie, and- Julie Andrews did Victor Victoria, the stage version. In reverse, that's backwards. Victor Victoria was a movie before it was a musical. Oh, really? Yes. I'm saying Julie didn't get to play Eliza. She won won a Tony for Eliza. Right. And, you know, she didn't play Maria on stage. She played it. I don't think she ever played it on stage that I I know of. So, I mean, I think the beauty of the situation is that we as 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 an audience as audiences got to see the stage performance preserved on film for these you know for ellen green because and that's why i think she plays it everywhere because everyone's got to see it you know uh in in this you know exalted form i mean my god she's she's just so perfect and stunning but i i agree i think you know now that it's 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 done. We got it. We see her. We need to move on and do and 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 invest in new versions of these characters. Because, you know, I think the only thing you can't do is set the show contemporary because then you have cell phones and things that just don't work. And uh, and also the music <clears throat> is so time specific. Yeah, it's set for that period. And the lyrics re- make reference to things that are that period as well. As well as the the, the script. Yeah. So, Roland, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? Um, oh, gosh. We talked about I would play. love to see you in a production of this. Oh, at this point, I, I would love to play uh, uh, Mushnick. I, I think I'm still not quite old enough. I mean, I'm technically the right age, but, like, I, I don't read character enough. I, I, I think th- you could kill as Seymour. A chubby, older Seymour? I mean, I Why think not? it's interesting. I think it's interesting when uh, leads like that are older for this in the sense that it's their last chance at love. It's their last chance to get something that is worthy of having, you know, because I saw a production of um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream at La Jolla Playhouse where the lovers, uh, you know, Lysander, Demetrius, Helena and Hermia were people in their 50s. And it it. Re, it just informs the characters so differently because there are stakes that you know twenty somethings don't have that you're like this is my last chance or so, at least or at least hear you sing the songs like I don't <laughs> I don't know I don't know if I if I need to see a full production but I would love to hear you partnered with somebody else to sing suddenly some more okay we'll we'll try to make that happen yeah because because that will happen probably first before <laughs> <laughs> the last so the last thing I I mean there are a couple things but really the last thing is how amazing I found the camera work in this movie. The camera work is so freaking stunning. I mean, from the from the tracking shots where you see in the opening sequence when they're, they're, the rain is everywhere but on the three girls, which is always amazing to me. And then to the, the, the camera move when, you know, the end of Suddenly Seymour, it happens and the camera revolves completely around them to reveal the sun in between them. Mm, I mean, it is, and and there's some, you know, the first shot of Audrey 2, you don't actually see Audrey 2, you see Audrey, you see through Audrey 2's eyes in a point of view shot, looking up at at Seymour carrying him in the room, and you see the the ceiling, and you're like, oh my god, and you see Audrey and Mushnick looking down, I mean, the camera work is, and the inside of the mouth shot from, um, from uh, in dentist where you're just like oh my god it's brilliant it's so brilliant and 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 the three girls i just we have to talk about michelle weeks um tisha tisha campbell tisha campbell and tashina arnold like these three women really give style and grace to this movie they're the other they're the other ones though that like 
you also need three strong yeah. people. Yeah. I'm going to just say people. Yeah. But like they have yeah. to be able to harmonize very well together. And do believably give you girl group because that's what's written. And but the fact that they, you know, give you this sexy, sensual, you know, diva grace. And then when they're the urchins, they're just like. They are like in people's faces and, you know, kind of hostile, angry because their lives have gone in a really, you know, bad direction. I mean, it's there. There's so much brilliance well, in this movie. Well, so there's a moment in Dadu, the one where he's talking about how he got the plant yeah. where, OK, in the original cast album that I have where it um, it's only the urchins singing the doo um somewhat scatting noises yeah. the doo doo chupat yeah. and doing the the repeats and everything yeah but in the movie there's one one line that's like a it's, girl it's like a guy group it's a guy group on the street yeah and i was of- just like it got me thinking i was like the urchins i feel like can be anybody it would it's lovely to have women sing it because you could get those tones and that timbre but like I, I would I would be interested to have like a mixed group. Like, it would be interesting because I think the only real challenge would be key changes, like because it's written for women's keys. But if you guy can if guys can sing it in those keys, why not? Like get or like get the deep bass of a guy. Like add add a fourth lo- oh, uh, line. Yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or or make or like maybe maybe double it so that it's three and three. Oh, so I have like sometimes it's women, sometimes it's men, like appearing. Or like, and then sometimes it's all six of them. Yeah, that would be cool. I think it would also be a cool thing to do, to do it that way so that when you have like costume changes, like one team is on when the other's changing. (laughs) Fabulous clothes. (laughs) Like they they all start in in show wear, you know, like like the women in their cocktail dresses and the men in like tuxes and everything. And then throughout, they're just switching I found video of the original production. Um, I think it's a replacement, but Ellen is still in it. And it's really interesting because the show starts and it's just those three girls in front of this weird, because the set was sort of curved. And uh, I I don't know what that theater's like. I've never, I was never down there, but they're just dressed as urchins. And then they sing, you know, the little shop opening. And it's, it's very, you know, unremarkable in comparison to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Meaning how it's staged, not the singing of it. I mean, I mean, you know, normally now they do it and it's grand and they do the voiceover and there's like, because we have the movie that gives you, you know, this amazing moment where, you know, the crawl is happening and there's the space behind, you know, the space visual behind the crawl. And then all of a sudden the crawl ends and then someone drops a bottle onto space and it's just a puddle of grease, you know, in the, on the street. And you, and so there's this brilliant opening that we now have to sort of like find a way to like make work on stage. And um, it's, it's just, it would be so interesting to see that reimagined with like more, more cast members or more people. Just, I don't know. It would be I keep finding since this the original episode of me talking about Little Shop, I keep finding mm-hmm. that we're pitching stage versions, movie versions of things. <laughs> and I'm so excited to keep going with these second chance theater oh, yeah. episodes to fit yeah. to come up with more. Uh but let's go into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Yeah. Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. And John's going to revisit his former <laughs> Sharps and Flats. <laughs> so uh, if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. So Roland, I'm just going to let you go. Let's have you start with Sharps. Do you want to start with Sharps or do sure. you want to end with Sharps? Uh, no, let's let's end with sharp. Let's end on a high note. Okay, so start with your flats if you have any, because like yes, I do. It's I still very one. hard to find one for this oh. movie. Oh, I have one. I have one that I just feel oh, so sad about, which is there is a song missing. I mean, there are many songs missing, but there's one song that I wish I could have seen done in the movie in the setting, which is it's the gas. The song that the dentist sings when Seymour comes to him and he basically 
puts on, I mean, it, it happens in the film. So there's no reason why they didn't sing it. I don't know why they didn't do it. But he puts on this like apparatus to get high while he's going to torture Seymour. And the apparatus gets stuck on him. And he spends an entire song called It's the Gas trying to get it off and begging Seymour to help him while Seymour is singing this whole Hamlet monologue of, oh my God, should I, shouldn't I do it? I would have loved to see, you know, Rick and Steve Martin do that because uh, it it just informed so much of Seymour's consciousness that he's struggled with this murdering people situation. Huh. And then the, and then the other, so that was, that's my first one. Okay. And then my other one is that there's a section um in oh gosh what's the song at the end um uh, don't feed the plants no or... it's the one uh the one Being where green mother from outer space where they're nowhere they're like bringing him contracts and my future's starting i have to let it um oh the um the um, meek shall inherit the meek shall inherit so in the movie the meek shall inherit is a truncated version of the song there they cut the middle out where the part that i just sang is not in the movie and i found footage where he actually did it and I wish they had kept that in because I think it also gives you a sense of not that we need it really because by then we get that Seymour just is so conflicted about murdering people but it's such a great sequence because you see bad footage of it's a dream sequence where he's like running and he's like seeing all this wonderful future things happening and and oh god I that's so that's the other flag but truthfully it's such okay. a perfect movie that I it's not it's not something in the movie, it's things that they didn't put in. Yeah, so it's it's more that you're missing things. <laughs> yes. and, and it's not like, oh well, you could have switched this out and done something better. No, no. Which is which is valid as well, because like um a lot of these stage to screen translations, obviously things have to get caught. Right. Oh, and Be- for time and for oh god knows how many reasons, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh so what were your sharps then? I mean I I always go back to how amazing I think the camera work is that our what we see as an audience is just so perfectly like meticulously staged um you know the moves through you know uh uh the opening sequence and then like just the dadu all of it it's it's it it's mind-blowingly brilliant uh, that's that would be my first sharp and then also that the women the three women are flawless the three urchin women just so flawless in everything they do um and and audrey too is a living being i think that's i mean only the muppet team could make you believe that that way that it's just such a high point like because without that you have no movie. You don't, you know, if you don't believe this is going to kill you, um, you the it's, movie would never work. And I believed it. I mean, I believed it when I was watching when I was 15. I was like, oh my God, he's going to, he's going to eat Seymour right now. It's going to happen right. right in front of us. You, you need to watch the original non-musical movie. I just, I did once and, just, and the pod just like opens and talks and then enjoy, it just enjoy it. It's, yeah. and, okay, and, yeah. and, and, and if people by now who are listening, haven't seen it, just, just enjoy it. <laughs> uh, do you have any other sh- sharps, flats, anything else you want to, mm, I mean, I could go on and on, you know, I think I, I did, I did most of them already. Okay. I want to hear so, yours. I'm very curious what you, what, so what, yeah. do I agree with my former sharps and flats? I'm asking people a lot to listen to form the former episode. Um, I agree with everything I said. However, I was a little harsh to Ellen Green uh, with my flat. Uh, I flatted her vocal track in Somewhere That's Green, be- uh, not Somewhere That's Green, in Suddenly Seymour because I compared it to her on the cast album yeah. of the original cast recording. Which is amazing as well. It's amazing. And yeah. you know what? I was harsh. I am. I was very critical of her. I'm so sorry. I know Ellen Green is probably listening to this and she's <laughs> my name. I love you, Ellen Green. I love you, Ellen Green. You you did fantastic work on both the both albums. So I'm gonna rectify that one. Uh, no. That's funny. Yes. Okay. Yes. However, I do have some new sharps and flats. Oh, do tell. I'm very curious. Um, my new flat. Okay, I'm gonna follow your pattern. I'm gonna do flats first. My new flat is the ending. I watched. The one that I have on that I bought on Prime, which is yeah. the one where it's the idyllic ending, 
And then I found on YouTube the original ending. And like, I kind of like the Chaos Supreme ending rather than the idyllic one. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Just be- well, just because then also we get another song. We get Don't Feed the Plants. Yes. And I love, I love that song. And I love how the girls are coming up out of the stage in front of the American flag. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's very patent. Yeah. Uh, but like, I also. And also just... the joke. Remember the joke, the best joke, the biggest joke, the I finally be I somewhere that's somewhere green. That's but like, I, I don't know. It feels like a bigger payoff to go this crazy bananas bonkers ending yeah then the quiet we get what we want ending yeah because like that's all it also the original ending also sticks true to the show because then you have people who have seen this movie with the with this different ending they go see the show and they're like what what yeah, and, and also in the in the uh, original sort of show ending, they om- uh, in the film I should say they omit a very interesting musical line. Uh, of course, a nerd like me would know, but but so in the musical, they all the actors come out in pods with their little faces sticking out because they're uh-huh. singing, you know, uh, "Don't feed the plants," da, 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 and then and the, they they turn into the plant in some way, and then the, yeah, well, they're they're like the pods of the plant, and the plant itself is going into the audience and it's taking over the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but Seymour and Audrey sing a line to each other that is in the music of don't feed the plants it's it's a guitar it's electric guitar riff but they actually sing we'll have tomorrow okay don't feed so and it's this hilarious like they're reaching across the stage at each other like i still love you even though i'm in the plan you know? <laughs> it, it just it just brings the silliness back for a minute um which i think would have been cool if they left it in if you just see a moment of like of like you know, like Audrey and Seymour, like plants, just like trying to get back to each other. Like, I'm still going to try to get to you, you know. Well, since the 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 remake is canceled, we could still do I a different still, version I'll of it. Still pitch it. I'll still pitch we'll it. Still it. it. Um, and then finally, my new sharp is Rick Moranis. I am so upset with myself that we he's didn't. Balls. And also, he he's not a singer. Like, no. he's not known to be a singer. But he can do and, it. He did a fantastic job. Oh, so he's so good. Uh, there's uh, there's some songs where he's talk singing or or talking in rhythm. Then suddenly Seymour he finally sings and everything. And so like he did a great job acting. Obviously, that's yeah, besides yeah, yeah. the point. Yeah, but we miss you, Rick Moranis, and movies and stuff. I hope you come back one day. I know. <laughs> I know. There's but, a whole story why he left. It's very interesting, but. If I'm in line at some movie theater and Rick Moranis is two people ahead of me, I will yes. tell him Little Shop of Horrors is one of my favorite movie movies, period. Yeah. Uh, would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist from the, the I, movie? From the movie. I mean, uh, actually, there's a couple like it's not Don't It Go to Show You Never Know. What's it in the movie? Um uh, Some Fun Now. Some Fun Now, yeah. I love that song because it just puts me in a good mood. So like out of con because when I listen to musicals, I like to just listen to it all the way through. Like, you know, when I'm like on a car ride or something, I listen to the whole thing. So that one is you can pull it out and have it like be a song. It's just like it fun is. groove and you're like, I need to I need music for my like treadmill playlist. <laughs> and it's on it's in there. <laughs> I mean, I listen to this album every so often. Oh, yes, so I good. do yes, I do skip some songs. Oh, but... what do you skip? I'm curious. I don't need to hear the dentist song. That's that's to me. I actually like the dentist song. Yeah, I don't dislike it. I just don't need to listen to it when I'm listening. I think it just depends on the mood that I'm oh, in that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like watching the movie, I'm like, I could listen to th- I and I will listen to these on its own. And like also I'll sometimes switch to the original cast album of yeah. it. And yeah. but like if we're talking specifically movie, yeah, I mean I originally I said somewhere that's green dentist and suddenly Seymour in the last episode but in this time around i don't know i guess i grew as a human (laughs) (laughs) and expanded my tastes and everything Uh uh and obviously this podcast has grown so yeah i'm gonna say the whole album and great chicken out uh but roland we did it we're done with the episode Woo! i i i'm putting little shop to bed yeah. For now, until for somebody now. else is like, hey, you forgot this whole thing. And I'll be like, great, let's 
Dracula. <laughs> Force me to Nancy. watch this movie one more time. Oh, I, 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 I could probably watch this every once a year, just like other films that we should talk about uh, on my list. You guys <laughs> on your list. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> Roland, is there anything you'd like to plug or promote? Oh gosh, well, I mean, you can find me at uh, at Roland Rusinek on uh, Instagram. I, I, I'm Roland Ponce Rusinek, but I to find me, it's Roland Rusinek. And then, yeah, I just um, all my. Episodes of Welcome to Chippendales are now playing on Hulu. So I'm just in episode four and six. And, um, that's, yeah, that's it for now. I mean, it's January. So I'm just t- taking a little bit of a downtime. because well, this, this is coming out. This is coming out like a month. Yeah, oh, so it's February. It's uh, and <laughs> I'm working steadily. Right. But, you know. <laughs> Booked and blessed. At the, booked and blessed. At the time of recording, I'm taking a, a couple of days off to recover from you know moving and uh a christmas Holidays job and, and, and all that yeah. yeah 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 um yeah and if you the listener wants to talk more about little shop tell me about your production that you were in i would love to hear it i would too actually um you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com i'm also on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok at buttersongpod uh which ending Maybe I'll put this as a poll on Instagram. Which ending did you prefer oh, yeah. for oh, the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And because if you I, wanna... I can't decide. I really, I, I, I think I'm leaning towards the original, like the plant wins and destroys the world ending. You know, because because mm-hmm. chaos rules. <laughs> and it's also just funnier ending, I think. And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, well, so. Uh, as by now you know we're flip-flopping back and forth and so we're going to be doing rrr you are oh my yes so roland thank you so much for coming back on obviously we have plans for you to come back on in later episodes yeah yeah and it and um i don't know what else to say bye for now everyone yay thanks bye Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day. <laughs>